Most of the time, all you have to do is show up on the battlefield. And uh, don't mean you're going to pull up a lawn chair and iced tea and sit there and watch the battle, but I guarantee you God will be there on the battlefield with you, and you'll win the battle. Psalms chapter 25. I say this on behalf of my agitator. I promise to be done before dinner tonight. Not even looking at me. <laughs> I hope I'm kidding. Just like they said to the evangelist one night, you can preach as long as you want. Just turn out the lights before you leave. <laughs> I think that probably really happened. All right, Psalms 25, 3 through 5. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Yeah, if anybody's going to be ashamed, let it be them. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day long. Or all the day, excuse me. Verse 20, O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. God bless you. you may be seated. <clears throat> when we went to uh, the district conference, we when we always when we go to a conference, we always go uh, asking God to give us a word. Always. The preaching is always good, but I think we should want God to speak personally to us out of the word that's being preached. So we receive something personal from him. And so it's no different at this conference, and we had both, Mr. Bruce and I, had prayed that God would give us a word, and we went through the conference, and I said, well, what did he speak to you? Nothing. How did he speak to me? Well, nothing. So we thought, well, uh, maybe we missed it. So uh, Sunday morning, uh, we went to church in Ocala. The cons were there, and it's where Justin and Stephanie attend church. So we went to church, and uh, they started singing a song, Wait on the Lord. And the Holy Ghost came on my wife and I immediately, and without communicating, we knew that this is the, the word that God is giving us, that it's a time to wait. And uh, a lady came up behind us, and we talked to her before service started, but we didn't know her. She came up behind us and said, the Lord told me to take you to the altar. Well, he was only about three or four rows from the front, so she escorted us up to the altar, even though <laughs> we were satisfied to stay right where we were. And the power of God moved so uh, wonderfully in that place that Young people came, children came, the evangelist that was scheduled to preach never got to preach. Just an incredible, incredible move of God, and we have been uh, thanking God that we received a word. Now, it wasn't the word we wanted to receive. It wasn't what we wanted him to say to us. But if you really want to hear from God, you want to know what he has to say, not what you want him to say. And so the title of this message, and I, I did not intend at that time to preach on this, 
that the Lord spoke to me about six weeks ago or so and spoke the words that's in the title, The Waiting Room. The Waiting Room. And I knew that uh, we were not the only ones uh, in the waiting room, that there were others like us. And so God wanted to speak to you and give you a word of encouragement. Waiting can be very daunting. Uh, I don't want you to interpret the message today as permission to be stagnant or to not go forward, to not advance the work of God uh, and advance the kingdom of God because that's not what this is all about. It is not permission to, be, uh, to act with hesitation or reluctance that God wants us to move with faith, but there's sometimes we want to move, and it's not the time for that. So we're talking about something that is mandated by God. The waiting room is mandated by God for his particular purpose and time in our lives. The waiting room of God is found upon the soil of his sovereign will. If you're not currently in the waiting room or in a waiting room, uh, then you probably will be very soon because the path of God is kind of like the highway. Uh, thankfully, we have a lot of these in Florida called rest stops. You get out of Florida and good luck. But along God's highway, there are places where we are mandated to pull off and reassess and wait for direction and receive inspiration. <clears throat> we often hear a lot of preaching about enduring trials and tribulations and praising God through the struggle and through the pain, through the loss and and all of these kinds of things, but we seldom hear much about the waiting room. Very seldom does anybody ever preach about the waiting room in spite of the fact that it is a part of every walk with God. If you're walking with God, then, then I'm not speaking something to you that you do not understand. If you have a walk with God, then you know what a waiting room is because you have been there before. Before we delve too deep into this, I at least want to mention that David said something in the Psalms. He is the, the author of the Psalms that we read. He said something in the Psalms, which is our text today, that always seems to occur in the waiting room. And he talked about shame. Now, why is shame associated with the waiting room? He said, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. And because he said this while he was in a waiting room, he said, and let not me be ashamed. Because the order of God is to advance, to go forward to win the victory, to take the city, to take the land, to pull down walls, to cast out devils. But there's some times that God mandates the time of waiting, and when that comes, we are overcome sometimes with shame because we ought to be out there doing and doing and going. And, and But God says, just wait a minute now. 
So David spoke from experience, and we're going to talk about David's experience a little bit more in a moment. But he spent an inordinate amount of time in the waiting room. And I think that you will see in a few moments that it was one of his greatest challenges of everything he faced. So it seems that no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we prepare, prioritize our time, it seems like there's no way for us to avoid the waiting room. Amen. I've learned the hard way. Then my wife says, honey, can you pull over at the next rest stop to obey her request? Oh, yeah. So we're affiliated with waiting. Anybody here love going to the DMV? Department of Motor Waiting. <laughs> went to the doctor the other day and, and went right in, but then I went into another waiting room and waited for an extended period of time. Uh, what about the 30-minute oil change? that takes an hour and a half, or uh, being put on hold. I received a call, I think it was Friday, and I've been answering my calls because we were expecting uh, somebody to call, and they didn't know their number, so I was just answering them all, all the robocalls, I was answering them. I answered the call, and they put me on hold. Well, guess who hung up? So we're all accustomed to waiting, uh, and I think that uh, it's harder at some times than at others. I know two minutes at a, at a stoplight's not that bad, but if you're in a hurry, it seems like an eternity. Now, I remember one time we were driving and pulling a fifth wheel. We're coming down uh, into Pigeon Forge area to the RV park, and it was back-to-back, back I mean, there's miles of stop-and-go traffic, and, and uh, we have a 37-foot fifth wheel behind us, heavy traffic. You don't get out of that, right, because you don't get back in, and she had to go to the bathroom. Her knuckles were white as she was clenching everything. I mean, she was pleading, begging. I felt so sorry for her. We run around the corner, and she said, if you don't pull over now, so I pulled over really quick and just got the door open and okay, sweetheart. But sometimes waiting is harder than at other times. Uh, it's estimated that the average person will spend five years of their life waiting. Much less time if you don't go to the doctor. According to the New York Times, Americans annually spend 37 billion hours waiting in line. Probably it is people standing there that figures all of this stuff out. They have nothing else to do. So waiting can be an ordeal depending on the conditions of the waiting room, what you are waiting for, and of course how long you have to wait. 2006, we were at a general conference in Columbus, Ohio, and it was extremely cold. 
and Sister Bruce uh, had the worst case of iritis she'd ever had before. She was uh, in extreme pain, and so on the way home, uh, I had researched uh, the best place to go in southwest Florida uh, for an eye condition, and what I learned was about the Palmer Eye Institute that was a part of Miami University, so I made an appointment with them while we were on our way home. So we got home one day, and the next day we drove over to Miami uh, to the Palmer Eye Institute. Of course, the initial visit was a long drive. She is very ill, in extreme pain, and was very difficult to say the least. But it, had, it was nothing like the follow-up visit. Uh, the follow-up visit was several weeks later, and we were sent to the Fort Lauderdale office, and we were thrilled about that. It was somewhat closer, uh, even though she was still in a great deal of pain. We checked in the front office, and I said, look, y'all, can you try to work us in pretty quick because my wife is sick. She's a patch over her eyes. She looks like she's a wilted flower. She's so miserable. Can you try and get us in kind of quick because we drove all the way over here from Cape Coral, and, of course, we have to drive all the way back at the end of our visit. <coughs> oh, sure. So kind. So yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah, get it in really quick. Yeah. So we walk into the waiting room, and it's a large room, probably just about as large as this room. And it was filled with people. I mean filled with people. The chairs were very uncomfortable. There were no magazines. There were no televisions. So you could watch H&G TV on the television screen. There was nothing to do but sit there in these uncomfortable chairs and wait. Uh, this was pre-smartphones, at least we didn't, we weren't smart enough to have one. Didn't have a tablet, they weren't really out yet, I don't think. So there was nothing to do but sit there and wait. And wait is what we did for six long hours. After six hours, when there was only two people left in that room, her and I, the girl finally came in through the door and called for Catherine Bruce. Waiting, waiting. Most of the time when we wait, we wait with certain expectations. We have an expectation that uh, they're gonna be on time or it's not gonna be that much longer. They're going to call my name. We have an expectation uh, in our waiting. We're in a line, and I've learned Murphy's Law. Do not get in the shortest line. Just don't do it. The shortest line will be the longest wait. It's Murphy's Law. That is a real law. But the thing about God's waiting room, we, we have expectations as well in God's waiting room, but we don't know God's schedule. We don't know his timing. And so when we're in God's waiting room, we're on his schedule, not ours. Now you may not realize it, but the church was born in a waiting room. You know the strange thing about this? Let me read the scripture first, Acts 1 and 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, expectation, which saith he, ye have heard of me. 
Luke 24, 49, he said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry. And we're beyond waiting now. Now we're into tarrying. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. See, there's a contradiction here because he had just told them, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel in every nation and to every creature. And the next thing he said was go wait. First he said go, then he said wait. Some of you may remember the old Jimmy Durante tune. Should I go? Should I wait? Should I go? Should I wait? Y'all look it up. It's really neat. It's funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do it again, brother. I love that. <laughs> See, but God's called me to do something. Yeah, I get that. But there's sometimes God wants you to pass through a waiting room. Now, you can ask me afterwards, explain that, Bishop. Yeah, I'll send you to the pastor. I, I can't explain why God does what God does. So God has made us some promises, and he's given, uh, these promises have given rise to the expectation of divine fulfillment. Is there anybody here that's received a promise from God? I mean, a personal promise, not just a general promise that's in the book, but a, a, a yeah, uh -huh, me, yeah, I have two. And so I have expectation, but it's been a long time since he spoke that promise to me. So referring to the promise or relating to the promise, he took me in a waiting room. Now, how, how long do I have to be in the waiting room until you're endued with power from on high? How long do I have to wait until you receive the promise? And so Jesus contemplated the fractured human ability to wait. And so he just told them, Terry, until, just, just stay there until. I, I know Peter. Well, how long is it going to be? Well, you just stay there until you're endued with power from on high. I, I'm going to tell you something, and some of you will receive this and some of you won't. There's a whole lot of people that don't, they don't wait long enough in prayer to be endued. They don't stay long enough until... We, we precipitate our exit because, well, I spoke in tongues. That must be the success. The success is when you're endued, when it is overflowing, when it's flowing out of your belly like a river of living water. So it's nearly un, uncontainable. And we don't stay long enough. So how long does it take? I remember one time Brother Kilgore was, was preaching, and he said, people come to me, and they always ask me, well, how long do you pray before you preach? He said, you know, it doesn't matter how long I pray. What matters is how long you have to pray. How long do you pray? Until. And so I believe that the Lord has sent me here with this unusual message to tell you that God has not forgotten his promise or promises that he has made to you. And so if God has made you a promise and you have raised your hand, whether it's a promise from the word for his church or his people or a personal promise, if God has made any kind of a promise to you and you are in the waiting room, that that means that you have an appointment with God. 
I, I challenge you, walk in any doctor's office, go into the waiting room, say, is anybody in here doesn't have an appointment? I don't have, I just thought I'd come in here and read the magazines that don't exist anymore. <laughs> Nobody goes to the doctor's office without an appointment. If you're in a waiting room waiting on a promise from God, that means one thing. You have an appointment with God. It means that you have an appointment with God's divine power, with His miraculous power. You have an appointment with divine destiny. I don't know about you, but I got an appointment. Praise God. Say, when's the Lord coming? I don't know, but I have an appointment, and I must stay with God until I receive it. So many of God's greatest champions of faith have spent uh, a great deal of time in the waiting room. We could actually go through a very long list, but we're not going to do that. Uh, we'll begin in Genesis chapter 12 uh, with Abraham and Sarah. It says, And now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And so God promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. Because inheritance passed from down through the lineage of the sons. It was a promise to Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a son. It was an absolute word from God unto them. And that their seed, when, when, when you all gone, your seed... You will pass this blessing to them, and they will inherit the land. And they were obviously excited about that. I mean, they were tickled pink. They were ecstatic. But little did they know that after God spoke this to Abram, they stepped right into a waiting room. They walked right into the door of a waiting room. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. It wasn't revealed to them. They were in a waiting room. They were expecting Sarah any day. Is it today? No, not today. Well, go to, go to Walgreens and get another stick and test it. They lived in the waiting room with expectation. If you don't get anything else, you need to get that. If you're in a waiting room, you need to be in there with expectation, with hope. But while they're in there, Abram turns into an old man. 25 years will do that to you. He was 75 when he started out. I mean, come on. And Sarah, the Bible puts it in these terms, she passed the flower of her age. She was beyond the age where a woman could physically, naturally conceive and bear a child. That's what happened to them in the waiting room. Um, and what this does, it reveals a primary concern of ours. Because, you know, the Bible talks about not letting the time of our visitation pass. Don't miss the opportunity. And there's, there's truth to all of those things. But I think 
a lot of us are concerned that we have somehow missed our blessing. It's somehow, did I really hear from God? Did God really make me that promise or, or, or was I uh, dreaming? Or we begin to question, did my opportunity pass me by? Has it come and gone? Because it's been a long time in my waiting room. So Joel the prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, he spoke some things to the people of God at a time when they needed it specifically. Because at that particular time, there were four different nations that ruled over Israel. There were the Phoenicians, the Philistines, the Egyptians, and the Edomites. Everybody say four, because that's significant. These four nations had literally devoured the land. So according to the book of Joel, it appears that the people had completely given up, that they would ever rule or govern themselves again, that they would ever be free of, of, of these, these very harsh nations of people, these very cruel nations. They had given up hope that it would ever return to any semblance of normal. So they had unknowingly entered into a waiting room and... Uh, what they did not know is what God wants you to know today is that God has a plan. He's got a plan. And he hasn't told you about it. See, that's the problem. He hasn't informed you and filled you in. You know, if God said, look, uh, three years and six months, I'm going to do this. Not a problem. I can chill for three years and six months. I can endure. But he doesn't tell us that. It could be 30 years and six months, and we do not know. And so I want you to know something that even though you may be waiting on God for some things to happen, God is with you in the waiting room. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He knows precisely where you are, and everything is on his schedule. So God's plan for the southern kingdom of Judah was revealed to Joel. And so he was going to inform the people of God what the Lord had told him. Uh, and I know our situations are not the same as Israel's was. But I think there's something here that we will be able to relate to. So Joel said in 2.21, fear not. Fear not. See, we're afraid it's not going to happen. We're afraid that we've messed up. God's mad at us, and, and he's just, he took the promise back. There are a lot of things that cause fear, and what comes out of fear is unbelief. You don't need to lose faith in the waiting room, see. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. I mean, these people are low. They are down. For the Lord's going to do great things. Then he tells them, be not afraid, ye beasts of the field. First he speaks to the land, now he speaks to the beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. 
Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. So first he spoke to the land, then he spoke to the beasts of the field, and then he spoke to the children of Zion. And I want you to look at the totality of what God said to them. Number one, fear not, be glad and rejoice, be not afraid. And then he, he, he repeated it, be glad. Is anybody here glad in your waiting room? Well, at least you're honest. Because gladness and rejoicing is not generally our response when we're pounding on a door that refuses to open. Verse 24, he said, And the floor shall be full of wheat, when on with these promises, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. What a wonderful, incredible thing that God was getting ready to do. Which tells us that when the door to our waiting room opens, this is what we can expect. This kind of blessing, this kind of overflowing of things when our door opens. When our door opens. So did you say our door? Yeah, because I'm going to tell you right now, this church is in a waiting room. This church is in a waiting room. What is most important is what Joel said next because uh, what we fear most about the waiting room is the loss of time because I don't know if you've caught on to it yet or not, but once time goes, you cannot get it back. We live on a linear plane, and once you go down once you get to tomorrow, this will become yesterday. You can't redo this. And so he said to them, prophetically now, and I will restore to you the years. You, you have any idea what that meant? You have any idea what this is? The one thing that we can't get back, he said, I can bring it back. I can restore the years. I want God to take you to a new level of faith today. So well, I missed some opportunities. Yeah, we all have. But I serve a God that is able to restore the years. See, I should have, I should have acknowledged my call five years ago. Uh, God understands that. Don't worry about it. I can restore the years. That... The locust has eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. Who in the world is the locust, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm? It's the Phoenicians, and the Egyptians, and the Philistines, and the Edomites. How long have you been in a waiting room? How long have you been waiting for that breakthrough? 
How long have you been waiting for a visitation of Almighty God to shake you to the very soul of your being? How long have you been waiting for God to fulfill his promise to you? I walked into the, to the gymnasium at camp before they built the new tabernacle. Men's conference. Uh, Tom Foster was preaching. I was late getting there, got stuck talking to somebody. And when I walked in the door, Tom Foster was preaching away. Uh, as I walked down to sit down, the Holy Ghost spoke to me as clear as he's ever spoken and said, I am going to save your son. If he ever said anything to you, you've got to hold on to that when you're in the waiting room. Don't let the devil take it from you. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil rob you of it. God cannot lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. All you got to do now is hold on. Just wait until he does it. In fact, I feel like telling God right now, God, I believe your word. I believe you're going to save John. I believe you're going to bring our prodigals home. I believe your word will come to pass, and I'm not going to let go of it. Doesn't matter how long it is. It doesn't even matter to me if I'm dead and gone as long as it happens. So one of the things you, you learn as you age in God, you, you learn to, to, to accept some things. So I'm not trying to figure out all the reasons why God places us in waiting rooms on the path to his promises and on the path to revival, on the path to the blessings of God, I do not understand. And, and if he tried to explain it to me, I probably wouldn't get it anyway. Or to even understand with a human mind what sovereign means. But what I do know is this. Sometimes we're in a waiting room while God waits for us to exhaust every possible human means and resource to accomplish that promise and get to that victory. He's waiting for us to exhaust everything. And when we're completely out of everything. We've done everything. We've prayed every prayer. We've prayed in tongues. We've wept. We've travailed. We've believed. We've cast devils out of our waiting room. We've done everything we can do. And there's nothing more we can do. God says, okay, now I'm ready. Why did Abraham and Sarah have to wait before Isaac was born? So God would get the glory. Come on, Abraham. This is not about biology anymore. 
Come on, Abraham, don't worry about the wrinkles in your and your wife's face. Come on, Abraham, you're looking at it from an outward appearance. You're looking at it from human eyes. I'm looking at it down from heaven, and what I see, nothing is too hard for me. Go ahead and wear yourself out. God's just going to let you do it. And when you're completely wear out, God's going to say, okay, the door's going to open. At times it's simply about confronting, about coming to terms with our inability. Why do you think God continually ask his people to do things they are completely and totally and utterly unable to do. 1976, why are you calling me to preach God? There's a thousand other young guys right here you can call to preach. Why are you calling me? Because you can't do it. And you'll never be able to do it. And you know you won't be able to do it. And you'll never forget that you can't do it. That's right. Not many noble are called. They must have not been noble. Not many wise. They must have been stupid. Uneducated. <laughs> My Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. My God. So I, I hope it gives you some consolation to know that Abraham and Sarah, these patriarchs of the Jewish and Christian faith had to wait 25 years. Uh, I hope it makes you feel better. They had to wait. It's not just you. It's not just us. If that doesn't help you, let's talk about David for just a few minutes. Um, Samuel pours the horn of oil on David. Now David's a young boy. Bible says he had a, a ruddy countenance. Uh, pours the horn of oil. They didn't anoint like we do. I mean, poured the horn of oil on this boy and pronounced and proclaimed him to be the next king of Israel. What would you expect? Oh, I'm getting ready to be king. No. No. You're going to be, but you're not getting ready to be. And so it's understandable that he would have had, his father Jesse would have had, his brethren would have had expectations about David's near future. We're going to have to downsize the crown. It's going to be a little big on you, David, but don't worry about it. We can, we can do it. We'll get a goldsmith, and he can cut that down. It'll fit you perfectly. See, they had these expectations. David's going to be king. They probably had a party, a bonfire. I started to say roasted a pig, but they didn't do that. It would have been roasted a lamb. The law. But little did he know, or his family, that upon anointing him with oil, David walked smack dab into a waiting room. If you do a cursive study of David's life during this particular time, you'll find out that it was uh, over two decades long. Um, his meteoric rise in popularity didn't do him much good when David started trying to kill him. 
his popularity among the young girls uh, in, in Jerusalem didn't help him much when Saul hunted him like a dog. So at one point, he got so low, he was convinced that he would perish by the hand of Saul. He even, he even said it out loud to himself. I'm in a waiting room. He didn't say that, but he, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to survive this. One day, Saul will kill me. I will perish. Some of you are at that point right now in your waiting room, not physically, literally die, but you're at that point of succumbing to the death of your victory, the death of your promise, the death of what God has told you he's going to do, the death of victory, the death of full altars, the death of, of, of uh, baptizing dozens of people, the death of what has been prophesied over this church. So he mulled over the potential of his demise. He dwelt on it. He, he marinated in that defeat. He probably wondered whether Samuel even knew what he was doing. Maybe he made a mistake in pouring the oil over me because I sure don't feel much like a king. So the waiting room will cause you to ask a lot of questions. Question marks in the waiting room. One of the questions that will haunt you the most is whether you really heard from God. That's tormented me in my waiting room concerning my son. Do you really hear from God? And so what I do, I replay uh, the real in my mind. I walk back in that tabernacle. I see the crowd. I see Tom Foster preaching, and I hear the voice of God again. I replay it every time I need to replay it. So many of the psalms that David wrote were either written while he was in the waiting room or when he thought back on the waiting room. Either way, they were a reflection of the deep emotional trauma that he experienced in his waiting room. They're a reflection of the difficult and trying times that he endured, such as Psalms 13 and 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? Can you, can you sense the despair in, in this man? How long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Go ahead and read it. Now, you can read about God talking to Moses and God talking to Abraham and God talking to Sam. God didn't do a whole lot of talking to David when he was in the waiting room. But the only thing he had to go on was what Samuel said and that, that oil that was poured over him. Verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. When you're in the waiting room, it seems like it will never end. And I believe that we have permission, based on the psalm, in that David was not reprimanded for asking how long. We have permission to ask the Lord how long. Now, you're going to get the same answer he got, which was no answer. 
but you can ask. Trust me, I have. How long? You realize the waiting room is like an oven that's cooking the miraculous, getting ready. When somebody opens that door, it's going to burst forth. If you're in a waiting room, you have an appointment with the miraculous. I guess we should at least mention briefly the, the strength and stealth of David. I mean, he killed a giant and a bear and a lion, and he was a mighty warrior. He led 600 uh, uh, mighty men of God. He was seasoned in battle. He was skilled with weapons. He could kill somebody with a, a little stone and a sling. I mean, this guy was incredible. And so speaking of his strength, we go to Psalms 55 and verse 4. When he writes, my heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. This is a mighty soldier writing this. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. You see, David had reached the point that he was willing to completely abandon his right to be king if all of this would just end. He was completely and totally physically and emotionally exhausted. And he says, Lo, then, in verse 7, would I wander off and remain in the wilderness? They're singing songs about him in the streets of Jerusalem. And he said, I'm willing to just go off by myself in the wilderness. He said, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. You can take that crown. You can take that throne. You can take that authority. And just let me go because I'm tired and I am. I don't know that some of you are not at the point of chucking it all because you're tired of the waiting room. I can tell you this, that David was there also, as mighty as he was. You don't have 600 mighty men with you, but you have the Holy Ghost. Some of you might be getting weary. Is God ever going to answer my prayer? I don't know, but I can tell you this. Don't give up. And I have to believe. Now, it's just me. I, I can't document this. I, I have no proof or evidence of this, but I just believe that there are a lot of backsliders that just quit in the waiting room. They could not wait anymore. They could not stand to wait one more hour, one more day. They didn't walk out of the church because of sin. They didn't walk out on God because of lust. They didn't walk out because of, of something ungodly. They just got tired of waiting.
The night that we went to the altar the first time, Sister Bruce got the Holy Ghost. She delighted in rubbing it in my face because I didn't get it. One day she's telling me all about it. She says, shut up. <laughs> she's telling me all about it. Be quiet. See, because every service after that, I'm in the altar. Every service. Every service. Every service. I wore them people out. Bible study night. We go to the altar. You know what time we walked out of church? 11.30. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, don't you sit back with your hands in your pockets. You need to come down to this altar. You need to tarry until you receive His promise. I heard somebody say that was teaching years ago about the Holy Ghost. If you have repented, God will give you the Holy Ghost. I slightly disagree. Hear my theory. I believe that the reason that some people tarry and pray, amen, week after week, month after month, because God is developing a prayer warrior and a worshiper when they get the Holy Ghost. You won't have to teach them how to pray. You won't have to teach them how to worship. They already have that down. The Psalms clearly reveal the state of David's heart, the state of his soul, his mind, while he was in the waiting room. He didn't fare that well, did he? He was struggling in the waiting room. That's why he talked about shame. Psalm 61 and 2, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Who's writing this? A mighty warrior of faith who is completely overwhelmed in the waiting room. I don't think I can take it another hour. So when I just can't go anymore, somebody take me by the hand and lead me to the rock. Lead me out of my despair. Lead me out of my depression. Lead me out of my defeat. Come on, somebody. There's an awaiting room right here today, and you need somebody to help you find God. It's all right. You can go ahead and admit it. David was there also. I mean, even Abraham had his own plot to circumvent the promise of God. Well, Eleazar, he'll inherit. No, God said, no, 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 no. Abraham goes, okay, all right. Continue to wait. I'm not sure whose bright idea it was. I think it was Sarah's bright idea. What husband's going to reject that idea, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Come on now. Sometimes in a waiting room, some things seem like really good ideas. <laughs> you got to recover from that. I wasn't expecting that, but it just came out. 
God's going to know. Ishmael's, he don't cut it. Sometimes we try to help God out. And it never works out. So if, if you're in a waiting room and you're struggling, you're not faring very well, uh, take heart. Because, and there's many, I, I'm, I'm just stating a few, there's many that God's greatest heroes that, that had to pass through waiting rooms. Psalms 41 and 2, I waited patiently for the Lord. He must have been on the other side of the waiting room when he wrote patiently. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. See, David came out of his waiting room Abraham and Sarah came out of their waiting room. All of everybody that, that went into the waiting room came out. Uh, but I believe that David's description here is apropos because the word Yahweh is the Hebrew word for miry clay. In the waiting room, that's what it feels like. You're bogged down and, and you're stuck in this, this muck, this miry clay. You hear the preaching to go and the preaching to do about things and you can't because you're stuck in a waiting room. Yahweh describes mud or mire that is both slippery and sticky, but it's also like we used to call quicksand. And it still exists. I mean, you, there's quicksand. You get stuck in it. If somebody doesn't pull you out, you're going down, gone. So it's dangerous. And God understands the danger of putting us in waiting rooms, but he has to do it for our own good and for the sake of the kingdom of God. So metaphorically, this means that it's dangerous in here. It's dangerous in here. It's awkward because we're, you know, we, we can't move around like we would like to, and we're trapped in this stuff. That's what it is. David learned some things in his waiting room, and thankfully he did and has shared what he learned with us. Psalms 37 and 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't pray for patience. Wait patiently. Just like James said, any man like wisdom, let him ask of God to give to all men liberally. He'll give you wisdom. But if you ask for patience, he'll give you that too. Yeah, you all get it. You know what I'm talking about. So it doesn't say here uh, but I get the sense that David is saying, if I knew then what I know now, I would have handled the waiting room a lot differently than I did. I can't tell you how to act in your waiting room. Now, Sister Bruce knows me almost as good as the Lord does. And she can tell you that I don't always fare too good in my waiting room. It's not always a happy time or a happy place. Neither does she. You see, the waiting room is not about how well we perform. It's about enduring until we get through it. So God understands the conflict that you are in. 
when you are in a waiting room. Every waiting room is different, and every person is different. Every situation is different. But the one common and sustainable and eternal equivalent for all of us is the grace of God. It is always and eternally sufficient, no matter where you are or what you are going through. I also know that you can't pray your way out. You can't fast your way out. You can't muster enough faith to get out. We don't do a lot of wishing. And if we did, you can't wish your way out. So Galatians 6 and 9 says, well, what do we do? Well, let us be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see, that's about the law of sowing and reaping. The farmer didn't plant the seed and three weeks later go out and harvest the crop. He has to wait. Now, you don't wait until you need uh, corn to go out and, and plant the field with corn. You know, I've been trying to do some cooking in the last few months, and I figured out you don't wait till you get hungry to start preparing the meal. I don't think I really learned that yet because I don't think about the food until I'm already hungry. And it's, forget, forget that, let's just open a bag of chips, you know. Weariness is just very common. It's normal in, in almost any endeavor in life. Emotional weariness, physical weariness. Of course, uh, David experienced Abraham, Sarah, so many people in the Bible did. But I want to talk for just a moment about Job because Job went into a waiting room. So he didn't know that. He thought the end of his waiting room would, would be the, uh, the uh, mortician in the hearse. I preached years ago, if you, if you look at the back window, you see that? I want you everybody to look back at the back window up above. Look back, can you get it? What does it say? No, it does say evil lib or something. <laughs> In order to read that, you've got to be dyslectic. We have a church full of dyslectic people here, my goodness. Years ago, my wife put that up there, and I was standing here, and I... The Lord spoke to me and said the backside of believe, and I, I preached that message. And the fact remained, God revealed to me, Job did not have faith that he was going to recover from his boils and recover everything he lost, and he had no faith for that. He was living on the backside of believe, and yet God did it anyway, anyway. He was in a waiting room at his lowest point, and he met with a full frontal assault. And who attacked him? His best friends. Yeah. That's where it always comes from. It comes from family or from friends. And so what we discover from our account of Job's experience is that he was not 100% correct about his assessment of God. Go read it. God said, Job, you don't even know what you're talking about. Don't read Job, God's response when he showed up. 
But the one thing Job was, was correct in, he refused to curse God. Believed he was going to die, but I'm going to die, and I'm going to keep praising God all the way to the grave. And that's what you have to do in your waiting room. You have to keep praising God and worshiping God and talking about faith, speak positively about God, because an extended stay in the waiting room can distort our view of God. It can. It can distort our view of everything until everything starts looking differently, and, of course, that can be dangerous. Musicians, please come. You have an appointment. If you're in a waiting room, you have an appointment. In other words, you have a prearranged meeting. You have an arrangement. You either called God or God called you, and in that communication, arrangements were made for your future. You have an appointment with God if you're in a waiting room. Praise God. Second Kings chapter 6 came to pass after this that then Hadad king of Syria gathered all his hosts went up and besieged Samaria. The city is locked down. It's tight. Nobody coming in. Nobody going out. And there was a great famine in Samaria and behold they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dung's dung for five pieces of silver. The city had virtually become a very large waiting room, and they were waiting to die. They were not waiting to live. They were not, reinforcements are not coming. The Calvary is not coming. We called 911, sis, and nobody picked up the phone. Oh, there she is. Nobody's coming. And so, these people are literally starving to death because no food can come in. So the Bible says that one day the king is passing by on the wall and a woman down below on the ground begins to cry out to him, Help my Lord, O king. Now, he was already under tremendous pressure. The weight of the, of the circumstances they were in was overwhelming. And when he answered this woman, I want you to see uh, how facetious he was in his answer. So he says to her, if the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? And then he got snippy out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. In other words, lady, can't you see? Who do you think I am, Houdini, who's going to be born a couple thousand years from now? So realizing that he answered this suffering woman out of exasperation, he then decided, he felt bad, I suppose, and decided to ask her, what is ailing you? What she said to him was more horrible than he could have even imagined. He, she says to the king, this woman said to me, give thy son, and we will eat him today. And then tomorrow, we'll eat 
your son. It's unimaginable. But in a waiting room, these things happen. So she said, we boiled my son and ate him. And I said unto her on the next day, oh, okay, now give thy son, we'll eat him. But she said, I, I, well, I, no, we, I hid him. We're not going to eat him. So when the king hears this, he rents his royal apparel. He puts on sackcloth. He is in travail. This man is a broken uh, shell of a human being. But the story that ends up ending well, by the way, thankfully, uh, it teaches us a valuable lesson about the waiting room. Say, what is that, Bishop? That when you get a bunch of people crowded into a waiting room, they will have an, a tendency to eat one another. Hmm. Holy Ghost. When a bunch of people get crowded in a waiting room, they will turn on one another. Forced into the same waiting room. If people are not careful and prayerful, they will literally devour one another. You know the truth of it? We're a jumbled mass of human flesh full of unending diversities, opinions, and God brought us together to become his body in the earth. A representation of one God, of Messiah. And at some point, we're going to have to get rid of ourselves if we're going to become that one body in Jesus Christ. Now that's under the best of conditions. But shove us in a waiting room and pull the shades down and lock the doors with no idea when those doors are going to open. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to pray. One quick note as we close. Elijah prophesied a change tomorrow. I'm not going to quote it. I can't quote it, and I'm not going to turn to it, but the essence of it is tomorrow. Everything's going to be different. Food's going to be flowing. Blessing's going to be flowing. And there was a man uh, upon whom the king leaned and said, yeah, if the windows of heaven were opened, this thing might be. Elijah pointed at him and said, sir, you will. See it, but you will not partake of it. If you're in a waiting room right now and there, there is prophetic utterance and preaching, declaring victory and revival and breakthrough, you better not discount it. 
Don't say it can't be. Don't say it won't be. Don't say it's not going to be. Don't say, well, if God, yeah, uh, listen to me. If God said it, I know what it looks like in the waiting room. I know how desperate it can get. I know how horrible, how long it can get. We're in a waiting room. And God sees your hunger, your burden, your desire for the lost. He sees it. He hears our prayers. He's the intercessor that intercedes through us. He's the one interceding through us. When you're in travail, it's the Spirit of God travailing through you. All the while, we are in a waiting room. Praise God. I'm going to skip over a few things. Uh, if you will permit me. Uh, we don't have time to talk about those that gathered around the pool of Bethesda and waited for an angel to come down. And st- Can you imagine? Not just waiting on the doctor to show up, waiting on an angel to show up. Here's the deal. So 150 of you in the waiting room, and the door opens, and the nurse comes in and said, we're only going to see one patient today. That's what it was like around the pool. We're only going to see one person today. Everybody else go home. And come back tomorrow, and you sit here. We, we don't know when the doctor will be back. Could be several months. Could be a year. Could be tomorrow. We don't know. That's what they did. But they were willing to wait just for the possibility of a miracle. We're not waiting on a possibility. We're waiting on the miracle. We have a promise from God. My Lord. And so now what do we do, Bishop? What should be the posture of God's people when they're in the waiting room? Oh, I have an answer for you. Thank God for the courtroom preacher by the name of Isaiah. 40 and 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Come on, stand with me right now. Don't try and figure it out. Don't try to understand it. But he said, he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. I'm not telling you you're coming out of your waiting room tomorrow or next week, but I'm telling you God is here to give you strength where you are. Are you faint? He giveth power to the faith. Stop living in denial. Oh, not me. I'm doing all right. No problem. I'm good. Stop lying. He giveth power to the faith. And to them that have no might. 
increase of strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And if they can faint and be weary, then what about the rest of us? Said the young men shall utterly fall. Come on, God knows the waiting room is exhausting. It takes a toll on everyone who enters in there. And so he said, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Come on to this altar right now. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, God is visiting us in our waiting room. He is coming by the waiting room. He's touching us. He is encouraging us. He is lifting our spirit. He is breathing into our strength. He's giving power to the faith. He's going to help us endure. He's going to help us to tarry. He's going to help us to wait.
Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Come on, Gina. Oh, I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Sing, sing. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Come on, get a hold of the heart of the altar. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Get a hold of something in the waiting room. Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Yes, I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Oh, I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Oh, I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Oh, I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. Okay. 
tomorrow, not next week. Hallelujah. Come on, there's Holy Ghost power that's flowing in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. else 20 years. Don't worry about the time. God is going to restore the years. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! You know what he told the church in Philadelphia, he said to them in the letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know what that tells me? They were in a waiting room, but they're getting ready to come out. He said, I'm going to open a door that no man can shut. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. 